Hello and welcome into another episode on the Labumba Pastors blog. I'm Masumba Jonathan. Today's lesson is a rebroadcast from our series on the Gospel of John. The title of the lesson is John 6, Wrong Motives for Following Jesus. Now as we begin this, I, I preface it by saying, when I do these broadcasts, I always write a lesson out, and then as I'm doing the broadcast, I'm majorly reading from what I've already written. So I wrote this in August of 2022 in the midst of that series. So there's going to be some things in here that reference what was in the recent context of, of the study as we were passing through there. So some of those things might seem not completely applicable since we're going through the book of Acts now. Um, but as we go through here, I want us to, to focus in on a main point today, which is how people have wrong motives for professing to be a follower of Christ. This is something that I've noticed isn't just true of one particular culture, although I find it to be very prevalent in Ugandan culture, which is much more religious than my own culture in, in America, where I come from. But let's begin by reading from chapter 6, verse 1 up to verse 15, which says this. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. What is the first motive that you see that John notes as the reason great crowds were following Jesus? It mentions that they were following him because they were entertained by the signs he was performing. The vast majority were uninterested in his teaching, but enjoyed the thrill of seeing his miracles. Do you see any parallels in some people's motives for attending certain Christian events? Why is it that youth are often more excited to attend a gathering of a scripture union conference or other youth rally rather than coming to the regular fellowship of believers when they meet? Well, 
The style of music is often different for those youth events, right? There's opportunity for young men to fraternize with young women. There's often a lack of doctrinal direction and accountability where people can proclaim their opinions and be affirmed rather than corrected for their lack of biblical foundation in what they're saying. This isn't just limited to one culture or demographic. In America, I'm finding people who attend certain churches based on the music played or extracurricular programs churches offer. I've heard people say they can't attend one church because the music is boring there. I've heard parents say they attend one place because there are great youth programs that get the kids out of the house. Those are similar motives to this crowd's motive for following Jesus. They were being entertained. They were not seeking what he was truly there to provide, eternal life. We read of Jesus performing an incredible miracle. This was a, sh a sign that showed who Jesus was. And the crowds rightly recognized it as such a sign. But because they had false motives for seeking Messiah, they missed the point of the miracle entirely. They had heard Jesus say things about the dead hearing the voice of the Son of God and passing from death to life. They had witnessed him making the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, and many other things. But those things had not made them declare he was the king from heaven. So what makes them do that? When Jesus gives them a free meal, then they say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now you might say to me, Masumba, how do you know these people only cared about free food? Maybe this was just the sign that finally made them believe. Well, if we continue in the narrative of the chapter, Jesus tells them this in verse 26 of chapter 6. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. To further prove what these people were motivated by, we just have to continue reading the dialogue later on in the chapter. It gets really incredible. In verse 30 and 31, it says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What are these people suggesting to Jesus? They've already witnessed numerous miracles. But what do they truly want? What is the sign that they reference from Moses? It was the manna, the bread, that God provided in the wilderness. Now what was unique about that compared to what Jesus did for them? The manna was given every single day, right? So what are these people truly after? They want Messiah to meet their physical needs each day. I often ask audiences, what do you need most? In Uganda, I almost always hear answers like school fees for my children, food at home, land so I can garden, a house, a cow, a goat, a spouse, I need children, I need clothes, I need a phone, etc., etc., etc. But what is the true need that only Messiah can meet that we all need him to give us? Eternal life. Because we're condemned right now. 
if we're separated from Christ, if we haven't trusted Christ as our Savior and submitted our lives to him, we are about to face the wrath of God. In all the times I've asked the question in Uganda, there was only one man who ever answered the question accurately. It was in a village called Laubenge. I remember it well because it has only happened the one time. The great majority of people see their needs in a reverse order. They prioritize the physical things and ignore their spiritual need. They see their empty stomach, but not their empty soul. Something interesting about these Jews asking for daily bread like their ancestors got in the wilderness is that their ancestors were not satisfied with the manna God provided. In Numbers chapter 11 from verse 5 to 9, we read, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mills or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. These people had the physical provision of their needs, but they were not satisfied, were they? And here are their descendants, over a thousand years later, asking that they would receive the manna their ancestors did. What lessons should they have learned from their ancestors? Man does not live on bread alone. All the material goods in this world will not satisfy the craving of your flesh. But Jesus, is, Jesus promises this about the bread that he gives us. In John 6 verse 35 we read, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus promises satisfaction. Remember in John 4 when the disciples had left Jesus because they were so hungry from their journey? They returned to find him talking to the woman at the well. When she leaves, they urge him to eat. And what does he say to them? I have food to eat that you know not of. Then they begin to ask each other, which one of us gave him food? And he explains to them that his food is to do the will of his heavenly father. In Richard Wormbrand's recounting of his experience of being tortured many times in his book, Tortured for Christ, during his 14-year imprisonment under a communist regime, he wrote this about his and other believers' mindsets towards their suffering and their captors. I'm quoting from him. He wrote, In our darkest hours of torture, the Son of Man came to us, making the prison walls shine like diamonds and filling the cells with light. Somewhere far away were the torturers below, were the torturer, torturers below us in the sphere of the body, but the Spirit rejoiced in the Lord. We would not have given up this joy for that of kingly palaces." Do you have the type of peace that this man wrote was his experience and the experience of his fellow believing prisoners? He would not have traded the intimate experience he had with Christ while being tortured with the person who lives in a kingly palace. Hmm. In his book, 
Wormbrand describes how Christians were sometimes lifted up by chains attached to their wrists and then stabbed all over by their captors with hot firebrands. They were beaten senseless on repeated occasions. They were on a starvation diet of soup that barely sustained them, and they were given one crust of bread per week. And yet, since the believers had nothing to give to the Lord except this bread, Wormbrand describes how they would often tithe their bread to non-believing prisoners. Sometimes those other prisoners were former torturers who had fallen out of favor, favor with the Communist Party and were now imprisoned with those they had imprisoned. In such suffering, how could a person have peace and joy? There is only one answer. The love of Christ filled their souls. Their faith was the victory that overcomes the world. In contrast to this piece is the continual seeking for more material possessions by those who, like these Jews in our story today, think what they need is material provision. What is your motive for seeking Jesus? What bread are you looking for him to give you? He has given his body and blood for each of us to have eternal life and rest for our souls. When you receive that peace, you'll never hunger or thirst again. But you must see your true need. Otherwise, you will go away from Jesus, just as we see these Jews did by the end of the chapter. God bless you all.